0: doing folks? My guest today is going to be Zev Shimko. Zev is the chief operating officer of Avanti Financial Group. In this episode, we discuss his transition from investment banking to startups and why he made the move. We also chat about his interest in fintech and digital assets such as Bitcoin. Zev also shares his insights and tips for new graduates looking to get into this competitive market. I hope you enjoy Zev's journey of failures and successes so far. Perfect. Mr. Shimko. Zev, how are we doing, buddy? Doing awesome, Bobby. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: I am doing excellent, thanks. I am actually enjoying some of the birthday present. You sent me a little, uh, whistle pig, uh, in an old fashioned. It's fantastic. So, uh, thank you for the uh, birthday present. I appreciate it. Hey,
1: great to hear. No problem.
0: <laughs> so you've had a super exciting, uh, kind of last, what, eight, 12 months or so kind of transitioning in and, uh, now the uh, Chief Operating Officer at, at Avanti, and uh, they've kind of uh, are in a super unique space. And why don't you just kind of chat about kind of that, that venture?
1: Sure, yeah, so maybe for some quick background, I started off my career in traditional investment banking um, and really helping companies raise capital either through debt capital markets or equity capital markets, and then I always had a feeling that I wanted to get to smaller companies, wanted to help move the needle a bit more than I was at the bank. Mm-hmm. So I went off to a few startups and fintech companies in San Francisco, uh, and then I stumbled across Bitcoin, right? So this digital asset, this new digital money, uh, and I thought it was super interesting. Um, took me a while to, to really understand what it was and, and how valuable it could be. Um, but after a couple of years of being in the space, I went to Denver Uh, to go work for a digital asset company and help lead a lot of their business development initiatives, Mm -hmm. um, which really just got me hooked. Um, I love this new digital asset space. I thought these virtual currencies were super interesting. And I knew that I wanted to stay in the field. Uh, About eight months ago, I was working at a company in San Francisco. uh, When I got a call from one of my old colleagues, actually, Um, she was starting a new bank uh, for the digital asset space. Uh, Importantly, it's actually uh, planning to be one of the first banks to actually offer services, not only on the traditional dollar side that you're used to getting from your banks, but also on the digital asset side. And so, for example, for Bitcoin, for our customers would be able to offer you know, Bitcoin custody and Bitcoin services, as well as dollar services, right, which is just not offered by banks today at all. Um, so we, we formed the company back in January of this year. Uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of work, a lot of late nights. Um, but we're going after, um, you know, becoming a bank. And so we've applied to be a banking institution in Wyoming. Uh, we've had our charter uh, application accepted by our regulator, which is all public news. i not telling you anything that I'm not supposed to be sharing. Uh, and we're still waiting for final approval. Um, so we have a little bit of wood to chop on that front. Um, but we plan to launch before the end of this year. Um. So we will be one of the first banks uh, in the U.S. Again, they'll be able to provide your normal banking services as well as new digital asset services for the world of, you know, Bitcoin and other digital assets as it evolves.
0: So digital asset services, I mean, for those out there that are not really too uh, on the ball or aware of that, I mean, obviously most people in this day and age are aware of uh, Bitcoin, but they're not really uh, too sharp on digital assets and, and, how to how to really use that
1: sure so bitcoin is a digital asset right so mm-hmm. let's just stick right. with that example Sure. Um, you know in, in simple terms it's like digital money right so i can either send you us dollars right i can send you um, other currencies um, mm-hmm. or i can send you bitcoin right if i wanted to pay you in bitcoin for something now for me to hold bitcoin today you know i need to be a little bit tech savvy um, I, I might need a hardware wallet, which kind of looks like a USB stick, um, mm-hmm. or I can use a company like Coinbase that is retail focused. I can create an account and, and I can buy Bitcoin. Um, for institutions um, that that need to work with, you know, banks um, just for regulatory reasons, for legal clarity, a lot of those types of firms, and these are your larger traditional firms, right? So large asset managers, pension funds, endowments, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, although they want exposure to Bitcoin. Many of them haven't purchased Bitcoin because they simply are not able to gain access through a bank, right? They can't work with an unregulated company or a less regulated company in order to actually get exposure to different types of virtual currencies like Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be the first bank offering these services and offering the ability for our customers to essentially uh, buy Bitcoin Mm -hmm. for dollars. You know, down the road, um, and I say digital assets is more of a broad term, yep. right? This could be, you know, digital, for example, digital equities, digital bonds, um, you know, other virtual currencies. You may have heard of Ethereum. Yeah, um, Ethereum, and what's could the be,
0: uh, Doge is pretty popular, right? Yeah, the yeah there, there are actually a couple There's thousand, a okay. um, but Doge is, you know, nope. certainly one of the more popular ones as well. So what's the advantage you know, if I'm a, if I'm uh, don't know what to be doing with my assets, what's the advantage for me to be going into digital assets compared to just the typical? You know, you're putting savings away in the bank, or you're just using typical currency. What's what's the advantage? Sure.
1: Um, so obviously, some people might buy Bitcoin because they think the value is going to increase, right? And it has over the last ten or twelve years. Definitely. Um, so so Bitcoin has gone. It was invented in two thousand eight. Right. You know, obviously at the start, it didn't have any value. It didn't have this market capitalization of the asset. And it's now worth over all the bitcoins out in circulation is worth over 200 billion dollars with a B. Right. So obviously there's been this value creation, which has gotten a lot of folks interested in owning some simply because they think it's going to appreciate in value. Uh, And then the question is, okay, why is this going to appreciate the value? Like, what is Bitcoin? What kind of technology is it? Mm -hmm. And and it's really a different type of of asset, right? But it's not backed by a government. You know, it's not the United States standing behind Bitcoin saying that we'll always, um, you know, redeem Bitcoin for money. It's really backed by a network of computers and really mathematics. And so essentially, you know, there, there are very rough estimates as to the number of computers that essentially verify all these transactions. Um, but there's, you know, maybe a million computers verifying all these Bitcoin transactions worldwide. Mm-hmm. And what that allows me to do, because it's decentralized or distributed, it's not owned by a central organization. I can send you Bitcoin, um, which will be confirmed by the network itself. Right. So you don't have Bank of America, you know, asking if Zev is able to send Bobby Bitcoin, then they have to confirm it. You know, it takes a couple of days to settle that transaction. Mm-hmm. I can literally in a peer to peer fashion, so person to person fashion, I can send anyone in the world Bitcoin and they can receive Bitcoin in a matter of minutes. And all the computers that are verifying these transactions will all agree that I sent that person Bitcoin and that they now own this Bitcoin.
0: And then it's also, I mean, there's always kind of, uh, kind of a receipt of it. So there's always somewhere it's in a database. I mean, the mafia probably wouldn't be a big fan of uh, Bitcoin because it would be essentially traceable, right? There's always at least a record showing like, hey, you sent me money or you sent me Bitcoin. I sent you Bitcoin. There's always kind of a record of it.
1: Yeah, so you can actually trace Bitcoin, you know, through the blockchain, which is essentially the database, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so you know exactly where the Bitcoin is. And in some cases, you might not know who owns it, um, but you know where it is. And it's actually very, very trackable, which is why a lot of companies are looking to use Bitcoin and other virtual currencies and, you know, supply chain tracking uh, and other similar types of activities.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you want to see where your money's going and making sure that, I mean, especially if you're a bigger company, I mean, it seems to make a lot of sense because there's always whether you're restaurant industry or something like, I mean, you deal with so much shrinkage uh, in, in that uh, a lot of those businesses that that definitely seems to, to make sense. Now, what, so what's the drive, what kind of block brought you into the, the digital assets? What was it about that that kind of like uh, made the light bulb go off and like, Hey, I really kind of enjoy this and kind of got you out of the traditional uh, financial assets and stuff like that.
1: Sure. So I learned about Bitcoin when I was working at a bank in the past and my first job out of school. Um, And at that time, I didn't understand the technology behind it. So I thought, okay, this is an interesting speculative asset, meaning it can go up and down in value. And maybe if I buy some Bitcoin, I'll make some money. Right. But I didn't know why it goes up in value. I didn't know how how it worked. There were a lot of things that were still unknown to me. Um, and it took a couple of years, and it wasn't until I actually moved out to San Francisco and started working with more of the software engineering type and technologists that I really started to learn about Bitcoin and why it worked. Right. And I learned about this network of computers, and I learned that it was distributed, and I learned that nobody controlled Bitcoin. Um, there's actually only a finite number of Bitcoin uh, that will ever be you know mined in circulation. So unlike you know normal money. Uh, If the government needs more, you know, they might just print print more, more. right? And they can print more indefinitely. Mm -hmm. You can't just print more Bitcoin, right? So a certain number of Bitcoin gets released into circulation, but it'll actually stop at 21 million Bitcoin. And we're at about 18 and a half million today. And so there is this finite supply. And you know that there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. And so I thought this concept of effectively money or currency backed by technology and math was super, super interesting. And when I started to read about how it worked and, and why it works, I just wanted to jump in further, right? So knowing that it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, really to hack Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Um, you can't just guess somebody's you know, password, so to speak, and steal their funds. It's incredibly secure. And a lot of the security behind that is because of the cryptography involved that you know, backs a lot of other things in this world, not just digital currencies.
0: So what, um, so what and else I, is it that kind of makes yeah. it so secure for me? Like if I if I have no idea, I mean, I have my little USB stick. What What is it? What is making it so uh, kind of encrypted and secure for me to not have to worry about it?
1: Yeah. So when you mentioned database earlier, for example, typically in the normal world with, you know, normal funds, if you're sending money via Venmo or PayPal or your bank, mm-hmm. you know, they're really the only ones with that ledger, right? So you know, maybe Venmo is the only one that knows that you sent money from, you know, Alice to Bob,
0: sure. right?
1: In, in Bitcoin, everybody actually uh, validates that transaction. And so let's say that, you know, Venmo were to go bust, you know, mm-hmm. you might have a hard time getting your money back, right? But with mm-hmm. Bitcoin, as long as you control, you know, what's called your keys that essentially control, you know, the, the Bitcoin or, or essentially access to the, the Bitcoin, um, you have full security and full control over your Bitcoin so nobody can steal that from you nobody can you know tell you that you didn't send bitcoin from one person to another it's actually fully auditable by really anybody who has internet assuming they know where to look right so they wouldn't need your you know your address your your wallet id in order to actually view that transaction but if you wanted to show the world that you sent money from a to b you know you can put that transaction up and you can share it with anybody you want and everybody can confirm it right so it's this you know new type of you know money or currency that's just backed by technology it's backed by you know a network uh, that really just and theoretically could be hacked but it it's extremely difficult and extremely unlikely that it ever would um, and, and you know again that you have full control right so you can take your bitcoin you can go somewhere else a government can't you know seize your bitcoin right mm-hmm. they can't you know force you to to send it to them um, they can't block you from sending bitcoin so literally if you have Internet, you can send and receive Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's really this—you know—freedom from traditional government, right? And you know, I think when when Bitcoin started out, right, you had some interesting use cases for Bitcoin. You would see it on the dark web. You would see it, you know, with online gambling. Um, but it's really—it's—it's it's gone mainstream, right? You have hedge funds today that trade Bitcoin. You have uh, investment managers that will invest in Bitcoin on behalf of their limited partners and, and family offices. Um, You have companies that lend against Bitcoin and other assets, right? So the same way that you can borrow money against your car or your house, you can borrow money against Bitcoin. Um, There are other types of investment opportunities. You can put a portion of your 401k into Bitcoin, right? So it's it's really gone mainstream over the last 12 years, which is why institutions are starting to take notice and come into the space, Mm -hmm. which is why Avanti was formed to actually provide services in the, the digital asset space Um, for these larger customers that are looking to get exposure and looking to get access.
0: Right. Now, going in, because, I mean, all of this that you kind of have going on right now with being at the forefront and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much work on a daily basis that you're you're definitely grinding it out. I mean, what kind of, what do you do to stay on target? What kind of keeps you on track, helps you take care of your bullet points every day? Is it your iPhone? You got reminders? Hey, I need to do this, this, and this? And you kind of prioritize from there. Are you you a note taker? What kind of helps you uh, attack the day?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. And this may be a weird answer, but it's really just, you know, putting the, you know, things you're working on into perspective. And so I think quite often you come across, you know, hiccups during the day or potentially problems or issues, but understanding that they're, they're all really fixable. Right. I mean, unless it's a, a massive problem, right. You know, take a step back and just figure out how to move past it. Right. So whether, you know, you know, when we started out, we needed to hire people. Great. Okay. We figured out a hiring plan and, and we're able to bring on more employees and that's fantastic. Right. And then you need to set up health insurance and say, like, okay, how do you do that? And, and, and you figure all these things out. Right. And, you know, sometimes you're actually creating new products and doing things for the first time, but just understanding that you're going to have these difficulties in building a business um, and you're going to find the solutions I think is very important. So if you get hung up on a lot of the small things or, you know, some hiccups along the way, it's, it's, I think really going to throw your day off and, uh, I don't think it's a normal day unless, you know, I run into uh, at least a handful of takeups.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, there's always just so many that I think you have to run into, right? As you're starting like a new company. And this is kind of the, not the, the first time for, for you going through this. I mean, you've been through a few different uh, startups, right? With uh, like Upstart out in San Francisco and then sure. with Salt and all these. So, so it's not like it's, it's new for you. Is, is that pretty exciting? Kind of going through another startup and kind of create, being able to create the business?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's super exciting. And I think what people need to realize is that if you have a general idea of how a business operates or what you want to do, and, and you put in the effort, you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, salt and, and the companies in San Francisco, which upstart and prosper, I mean, you know, those were things that I hadn't done, you know, before joining those companies. Um, and whether it's raising capital from investors, whether it's, you know, representing the the company internationally at a conference, or, you um, educating politicians or academics. I mean, these are all things that I did for the first time. Um, and just having a general understanding of finance, quite frankly, um, really opened that door. And then, yes, it might take some time to uh, understand what you need to do to figure out the solutions, but it's all very possible and, and in reach. Um, you know, I like to deal with those types of challenges. Um, I started out in a bank where you're basically, you know, told what to do, and it was very clear what your day looked like. And, you can work very hard, very long hours, um, and it's challenging work and it's it's great i I recommend starting in a bank really for anybody, um, but you don't really need to necessarily think outside the box or try to solve a problem that you had never come across and so being in these startups really opened up my mind to you know what types of things I could do, what types of things I can figure out um, you know it sounds a little cheesy, but really, how to build a business right I mean if you want to start a business of your own. I mean, there are a lot of little things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, right? Okay. Do you need insurance? You know, how do you bring on these employees? What States are they in? You know, do you need a payroll provider? Okay. Now you need to start building technology. How do you secure that technology? Do you need to get audits right both on the technology side and the accounting side? Right. And there are a lot of, you know, housekeeping administrative items that you just, you know, wouldn't even think of. Um, so I think being in smaller companies, having those types of positions really just gives you more exposure and makes you more of a versatile team
0: player. Now, what about that? Because there is something, you know, uh, you have to take that plunge, right? I mean, it's kind of that, that sink or swim uh, when you're going out and, you know, you kind of have being told, right, it's very cookie cutter, you do this, you do this, you do that, and then you kind of go to San Francisco and now you have that freedom and is that exciting? Or is there a little bit of, of fear when you kind of go? Is there a fear of failure? Or is it just like uh, this? You know, what's kind of the, the attitude and, and mindset when you're going into that?
1: Sure. I, I think looking back, it, it was definitely exciting. Um, when I first made the leap from investment banking to startup lands, mm-hmm. there was certainly a little bit of an adjustment, right? It almost felt like you're running around with your head cut off or perhaps everybody's running around with their heads cut off and you're wearing all these different hats and you know you might be in a finance role but now you need to do some operations or you might need to help out the legal team Um, and really you have a lot more collaboration amongst different groups right which you know turned out to be a really great thing you know you learn a lot about different areas of the business but i wasn't used to that right and so all i knew initially when i made the move was look i want a new challenge um, and then when I got to the small company, all of a sudden, you're the one responsible for bringing in the money, right? Or raising capital or doing whatever it is that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas at, at a bank or a large company, you might have 10, 20 people working on the same thing. Um, so yeah. you get a lot more individual responsibility, but that also means more accountability, right? So if you mess up, it kind of sucks a little more, to be honest, sure. right? And yeah. People notice that. And, so you know, what's the, the first one? What's the
0: first one when you're going in there and you're like, oh boy, I fucked that up.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Let's see here.
0: Um,
1: you know, I think when when deals just don't go your way or a deal doesn't close, you you just take the the personal, you know, weight on your shoulders, right? Sure. It potentially yeah. is something you said. It's mm-hmm. something you did wrong. You know, maybe you could have done something better and you really don't know. Uh, I think at a bank you say, well, you know, our team tried or the bank tried, um, mm-hmm. but we're not a small company. It's okay. I tried and, and I messed up or I didn't get it. Yeah. Right. So I think it just, it's a lot more responsibility, which is which is great for learning um, great for picking up new skills, but you know, when, when things don't go well and, and you take, you know, the majority of the weight on your shoulders, it doesn't feel great, obviously.
0: Right. So what has kind of, what what has kind of helped you kind of persevere through that? Cause you've had a bunch of different stops and, and you've learned a lot and it's not always uh, going to be good times, you know, when you're out and you're competing and there are days when you have a good day competing and there's other days to sure. ski like crap. And uh, you used to be a former competitive skier. So uh, you you know that all too well and so so what kind of what kind of helps you uh, grow and move forward from yeah that keywords
1: there former uh, competitive skier <laughs> and I call myself a recreational yeah. skier everyone's gonna um, be a former one sooner <laughs> or later that's true good point but it's honestly it's, it's not too dissimilar from you know back in the skiing days when you have a really good a competition day and you place well and you feel really good about all the work that you put in, um, you know, on, on the flip side to everything I said before, when you do close a deal, when you do get a new client, when you do build a new partnership, bring money in the company, I mean, that's that's because of you, right? And, and right. there are some things in the past that, you know, perhaps I helped, uh, you know, the company, you know, move forward further. Perhaps I gave them another few months of runway. Um, perhaps they got a higher valuation or more visibility. Um, and it's kind of hard sometimes to evaluate what your impacts are there. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think, again, it's it's the wins that you have that that keep you going. Because in any externally facing roles, whether it's sales or, or business development or corporate development or really anything in investment banking or the sales side, um, you know, it's it's a numbers game in, in, in some ways, right? And so you always try to differentiate. You always try to provide a good service, um, but you're not going to win every deal, right? You're not right. going to close every client. Um, but when you okay. do, that feels awesome. Yeah. Right. When, when you helped, and I'll just make something up. But if you helped, you know, bring in a hundred million dollars in a capital race, for example, that, that's fantastic. Right. And, and you get to take a lot of that credit. Right. Sure. So I think it's the balance of, sure, if you lose every time and you yeah. never close a deal and it's been a very long time, you know, maybe you consider a different type of role, but as long as you can, um, you know, close a, a portion of the deals that you're working on or interesting transactions, I mean, that's a great feeling.
0: Right. Yeah. Nobody bats a thousand, right? Nobody bats a thousand. They've tried. Not that I know of. Not that. Yeah. <laughs> so for people kind of, uh, fresh out of school or, or thinking about doing uh, a startup or kind of going into that, that Avenue or that venture, what kind of, what kind of advice would you kind of have for them? Uh, or, you know, a couple little tidbits to kind of get them, uh, get them going in the right direction.
1: Sure. You know, I, I think startups are very interesting um, and you can learn a lot as long as you have a, a go-getter mentality, right? If you go to a startup and, and you sit at your desk and you're not going to be proactive about, you know, asking what you can do or how you can help, you're really not going to do much, right? And I actually like the fact that I started in a very regimented program um, and I was frankly told what to do for a few years, um, you know, and I, and I learned quite a bit. Um, So I I wouldn't, you know, be scared of the structured programs. I think the biggest thing that, and the bank I worked at was Morgan Stanley, where, you know, having something like that on your resume, you know, people don't question your work ethic anymore. And then, you know, interviews tend to more be a question of fit as opposed to uh, ability, right? So I think having a well-recognized institution on your resume goes a long way Um, and companies will trust that, you know, that bank or your former employment, um, you know, had trained you well, to be honest, right? right? And honestly, most of the uh, interviews or conversations I've had about employment over the last five to 10 years have really more been about fit than anything else, right? Because once again, going back to the earlier comment, once you're in general finance, I mean, you can figure things out, right? You're not going to know everything off the bat. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, try to learn as much as you can. Um, I think the structured programs are great. If you end up at a small company, that's also great, but you know, make sure you have a good manager, a good boss, someone you respect and someone you can learn from um, because they really control your destiny at that company.
0: Right, so kind of speaking to that, who are some of those people that you would say like really influenced or kind of mentored, kind of helped you along the way, you know, learn some new things and kind of help you out of some uh, tricky situations or maybe you're, you know, kind of feeling down because maybe the deals are not going the way you want to, who's kind of helped you through those, those times?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a funny question because I think my answer now is different than it would have been at that time. Both. Work. Um, so, so for example, uh, you know, my, you know, managing director, right? When I started at Morgan Stanley, um, you know, from my perspective, I was just getting a ton of work handed to me, um, and it seemed like you know a lot of the things I was doing was um, not, not necessarily moving the needle, um, and you know, personally, I felt overworked and, and tired. Um, but really, I mean, looking back at that, I I learned so much, right? I mean, who who am I to say, I I got this amazing internship, you know, I was able to work long hours, challenge myself, meet awesome people, work with very uh, intellectual people. Um, I was complaining about, you know, at least in my head, the amount of work I was given. I thought that was unfair. I mean, that was, that was an amazing opportunity I had. Right. right? And, you know, a lot of the opportunities I've had since was because of the amount of work I put in at, at the bank. And so I don't think I appreciated Um, you know, those types of relationships enough, right? So basically the folks in in senior roles in my first job that basically gave me work. Um, But that is really the first, you know, well, not, I guess not the first full-time employment in my mind, but the first uh, full-time employment Mm -hmm. post-college where uh, I I basically, you know, was, um, you know, taking in as much knowledge as I can, learning as much as I can. And I did that because of all the work I was given, right? So I think I, I really respect those folks a lot more than I did at the time.
0: Um, and then really when when I first got, looking back on that, do you, not to cut you off, but looking back on that, do you think that that's like the confidence that they had in you? Like, Hey, this kid's sharp. He's talented. He can handle this on his plate. If we throw more on top of him, he's just going to get it done. He's not going to, you know, uh, crack.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. Because, uh, if you think about it, they really wouldn't have
0: given me work if they didn't think I can
1: do it or produce good work. It would have just Mm -hmm. been a waste of their time. Right. So the the part I didn't see in many cases, at least when I first started was, okay, maybe that pitch deck that I spent all weekend putting together, that might have been used to close a $5 billion deal. Right. And so <laughs> sure, maybe I was unhappy for a few hours, but who cares? Right. I mean, the yeah. bank got to close a big deal and, and everyone, you know, did well and, and made money and the clients are happy and that was great. Um, so, so definitely.
0: Gotcha. No, it's good. So, so now, Kind of moving forward, what what are the next steps in in digital assets? Like, what what do you kind of see that that future? I mean, because uh, listening to you, I mean, there's something uh, you talk about that passion. At least that's kind of what I hear. You not only passion, but just like enthusiasm. Like you're so excited on that topic, and and you bring a lot of energy and passion uh, towards it. Where, where do you see the the future ultimately going with it?
1: Yeah, I think in the near term it's not gonna be too dissimilar to what companies like PayPal and Venmo did for sending money around, right? So I see digital assets as just more efficient assets, right? They can be sent more easily, they can be sent quicker, they can be sent directly anywhere in the world 247. You know, you don't need to wait until the bank opens at nine o'clock, and you can still send transactions after the bank closes at five, right? You can break assets up, you know, infinitely almost infinitely if they're digital right so if you have for example um you know a share of stock on, on a piece of paper right uh, at least in the olden days you couldn't necessarily yeah. split that up and give somebody half and half over here and half over there right if i have a digital share of stock i mean theoretically i can split that up into a million different pieces and provide uh one one millionth ownership to uh, a million holders right if it's all that's technology what driven. Do with bitcoin
0: right like you can own like one one millionth of one piece of Bitcoin, right? You can kind of cut it up, at least with that digital asset. Is that with all digital assets? Are, are you yeah, digital so you account?
1: can actually, Bitcoin goes as small as one 100 millionth, right? So again, good point, common misconception about Bitcoin. You don't need to own a full one, right? One Bitcoin good. today is, trading around, uh, if you look at exchanges, around $11,500. A share.
0: Right? You can own, yeah. So is it called, like in the digital world, is it called like a share or is it just like a... a,
1: It's just a Bitcoin.
0: A Bitcoin. Um, Okay. And
1: you can own a full Bitcoin, you can own a thousand Bitcoin, or you can own one over 100 million Bitcoin, right? So you can have a dollar's worth of Bitcoin if you want, Mm -hmm. um, or five cents. Um, So it is very much fractional. um, Whereas obviously the dollar, right, you can break up into a hundred pennies, Racing right. and send someone a penny. Bitcoin goes a little further, um, which again I think is valuable as the the value of Bitcoin increases. Right, so when Bitcoin first started, I mean, it was trading or people bought Bitcoin at a penny, two pennies. Now it's eleven thousand five hundred. Right, so obviously having the ability to break it up makes more sense than it perhaps did when it first started.
0: Especially also because they're not really printing anymore. Right, it's it's only got twenty one million. They're not making any. Yeah, more so there's case. still so some finite.
1: Yeah, so some Bitcoin still. Uh, every time transactions get confirmed, and this may be getting into the weeds, more Bitcoin is released in circulation to whichever you know computer essentially solved that mathematical problem, right? So it's a very um, transparent uh, system and design, right? That anybody can actually look into and inspect. Um, but essentially, um, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin once the circulating supply hits 21 million. Um, there will not be any more Bitcoin minted, right? And so if supply keeps going up, um, or sorry, if demand keeps going up rather and supply remains stagnant at 21 million, obviously the value of Bitcoin should be increasing as well.
0: Now, talk to me a little bit about uh, those digital assets because what, what does it have to go to into creating a, a, a digital asset? Because there are multiple... I know we've looked at it's like a coin stats or what it, that app we've kind of looked at with it. There's so many different uh, digital assets that I feel like if you were on the outside looking in, which I would say I'm, I'm well, somewhat well versed from you, but being able to, to kind of figure out how hard is that to, to pick and choose a digital asset to uh, invest in? I mean, most people know Bitcoin. Or, sure. You know?
1: Yeah. So it's uh, a good question. Anybody with, you know, a moderate technical ability could actually create their own token, right? It's not incredibly difficult from a technological perspective. But if I, let's just say I had the capability and I, I created something called Zevcoin, right? If nobody wanted this, if nobody accepted it for payments of goods and services, if nobody else had the ability for you to hold Zevcoin, it's not really worth anything right? The reason why Bitcoin has so much value is because of the adoption that it's had over the last uh, 12 years or so, okay. right? So you, yeah. you've had you know, this insane increase in uh, market value. You've had a large number of transactions being processed on a, you know, hourly basis for Bitcoin. It's being used, it's being accepted by merchants and vendors, and, and that's why it has value, right? And so I guess the way I would answer your question is, you know, try to, if you're looking at these different types of tokens right? And, and one common website is coinmarketcap.com. You'll see a list of, you know, a few hundred of them. Um, look at the ones that people are using, right? And which will be essentially represented or reflected in their market cap. And so if Bitcoin, for example, has a market cap of 215 billion, great, that's being used by a lot of people, right? Ethereum, I'm not sure it's less than that. And, and same is true there. Um, but there are all these other tokens. And it goes down, you know, to the very bottom of the list, where, you know, you might have a token that has a $100 market cap, Right. And that's not being used by anybody. Right. right. And so really, if you have and if you're looking into tokens, right, what value does it provide you? Who's accepting it? How many computers are on the network verifying these transactions? Right. That all uh, has to be taken into account. Um, I will also just say that anything I say should not be considered as investment advice. Um, you know, but if you're looking at general exposure to the market, I mean, look at the larger market cap tokens. And that's today, at least, Bitcoin as number one and Ethereum is number two.
0: So Zevcoin's not gonna—it's gonna be a hundred dollar cap value. Is what we're looking.
1: at. Honestly, Zevcoin might exist. Maybe another Zev out there <laughs> created it and, and sold it. But but no, I, I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> nor nor am I using this podcast to uh, sell some Zevcoin over here.
0: We could get it going. This could be it. This could be the brainchild for for Zevcoin. Hundred dollar uh, cap value. That's that's thing. a scary thought. <laughs> but it is kind of. I mean. Speaking to that, it makes it a little bit uh, for, especially I would say older uh, generation and older audience mm-hmm. kind of a little bit scary to to jump in to digital assets when some 15 <laughs> year old in the middle of the country can come up with their own currency. And uh, is, is that why there's been kind of a little bit of apprehension with it so far? I mean, what, what would you say?
1: Yeah, well, people need to realize how much, you know, maturation there's been in the Bitcoin space. So, right, obviously, when it first started, it would have the same problem as Zevcoin has today, right? Who's using it? Who's sending it? You know, how many wallets are there? What can you do with it? Right. And Bitcoin obviously has gone through that process over the last 12 years and has gained quite a bit of adoption. Um, You know, when it first started, though, you needed to be quite technical in order to hold Bitcoin. Right. And in order to secure it yourself and you need to understand how to manage, you know, these, you know, keys. Um, obviously, when you think about your bank account, right, and you go to Bank of America or Chase or JP Morgan, you now just need to remember your username and password and then you can send Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those types of companies have now come out in the digital asset space. Right? So Coinbase, for example, you don't need a hardware device. You don't need to be an engineer. You just go on, you know, you go through their KYC, which is know your customer, you upload an ID. Um, you create your accounts, you create a password, and then you connect your bank account and you buy or sell Bitcoin. It's it's actually quite easy, yeah, um, and so I easy. think, yeah. And the easier it becomes for people to actually get exposure, you know, the more they understand it, um, and and the more adoption there should be, right? So if, for example, right, let's say your grandparents can open up their Charles Schwab app or their Fidelity app and maybe there's a buy Bitcoin button and maybe they press that and get a little bit of exposure. I mean, that's pretty easy for them. Right. right? And and I think long-term you'll just see Bitcoin as an option in any sort of portfolio, right? Do you want to yeah. buy more stocks? Do you want to buy more ponds? Do you want to buy virtual currencies? You know, mm-hmm. excuse me, how do you want to diversify your portfolio?
0: Yeah. I think it might be a little bit of a stretch for my grandparents to get on an app and go through the banking. but I hey, You'd be you'd surprised. surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Is and, that, and yeah.
1: that's why, and, but that's why all these companies have started that actually provide a, you know, very easy to use interface, right? And essentially manage all the security on your behalf is for that very reason, right? Uh, I think most people don't expect their grandparents to, you know, buy a little hardware device and manage a private key. But sure, if they can go on and create a bank account, you know, then they can go on and create an account on a website that supports various virtual currencies.
0: Now, kind of just just getting into finance, digital assets, blockchain, I mean, before all that, kind of starting out, wh- where did the drive and kind of the, the ambition start for you? Because as long as I've known you, there's been a ton, a ton of drive, a uh, crazy amount of work ethic, um, always kind of like to be moving and grooving. And where, where does that drive and ambition kind of come from for you?
1: You know, I always, as long as I can remember, <laughs> which is maybe a sad thing to say, but I always thought that I wanted to get into finance right? But I didn't really know what that meant, right? And has a ton of different meanings. And obviously, every company, every job is different, right? Even, even a term like investment banking. I mean, there are tons of groups within investment banking. um, And they're all very different roles and and have very different responsibilities. And so I didn't quite know exactly where in finance I wanted to go. But I know that I liked that industry. I liked, you know, the small, you know, application of, you know, math, and I like the fact that you get to deal with people. Um, I just thought that it seemed very interesting and worked for my you know, skill set at the time. Um, I think that I was lucky that I ended up at Northeastern University in Boston um, because they had this great co op program where you spend, you know, six months at a time, basically these extended paid internships, right? And so you, by the time you graduate, you go for five years, um, you may have three full time, six month internships, fully paid with real companies um, in real roles, right? So, for example, I worked at two different investment managers in Boston. And for my last call, I actually did that at Morgan Stanley in New York. And that really helped me get a sense of what I wanted to do. And and all those jobs are very different. Um, When I started to learn more about the investment banks, right? So like the Morgan Stanleys of the world, the Goldman Sachs's of the world, you know, I was just super impressed with how successful they've been, um, how many companies they've helped, you know, all the smart people at these institutions. And so I just said that I wanted to really get into one of these summer analyst programs, right? So there are these really intensive 10-week programs where you're working maybe, you know, 14, 16 hours a week, sometimes more, sometimes your weekends, Um, but you learn a ton and it's a great, um, you know, bullet on your resume that's going to help you either get a full-time position there or somewhere else, right? And so I thought that this would be like a really great entrance into the finance world post-graduation. You know, fortunately, I was able to land that that Morgan Stanley Summer Analyst Program and get a full-time offer from them um, and then I really just learned learned more about how the finance world worked, right? What does an investment banker actually do, right? It sounds cool, but like, what do they actually do? Yeah. Um, you know, when you're at an investment bank, it's called the sell side, right? You're helping clients access. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so there you have the sell side and, and buy side. You know, the buy side is what you would consider, you know, private equity, VC. You're basically managing money on behalf of institutions. You're making these investment decisions. Um, you're making... Um, you know, you're probably buying shares in an IPO, um, but really, really you have this pool of capital that you're either investing with or buying things with. Mm-hmm. And and the sell side, you're really providing services, right? So investment banks, they're not managing money on behalf of like other funds or family offices for the most part, right? The primary activity of investment banks is to provide services to companies that are looking for capital, right? And so you're basically being paid a fee for your services you're not managing a pool of capital like uh, an investment fund would. Um, and so, again, I, I had no idea what that distinction was, you know, before I actually got into the space, right? And so then you start to learn about sell side versus buy side. I, you start to learn about like venture capital and private equity. Um, you know, the reason why I hopped to startups was I spent some time on the equity capital markets desk at Morgan Stanley where uh, that group's role was actually to take companies public. Right okay. or sell their shares if they're already public for additional capital. And so, you know, take, um, you know, Uber for example, right? You know, Uber, uh, you know, has been a private company, right? If they want to go public, right, they basically hire an investment bank, right, and they sell their shares uh, to public investors, right. But the investment bank is the one that facilitates all that, right? Um, and I was like, well, why couldn't I be at that company as opposed to raise money for that company? And so I thought that if I can be at a startup that does so well that it eventually goes public. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was actually then, you know, the next dream. Right. Right. And that, that's kind of what led me to start thinking about these smaller startups on the West coast. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, wow, it's great to raise money for a company and and you're doing, you know, very important, um, you know, function and you're obviously helping the company operate. You know, I thought it was, it would be really cool to actually be on the other side, right? What if I helped build a company that we took public um, and generated, you know, success for ourselves and our shareholders. Um, so I think it just depends on, you know, where you fit, you know, in in the finance world and understanding that there are so many different types of opportunities with so many different roles and responsibilities is very important. And I, I certainly did not um, realize or recognize all that uh, while I was at school.
0: Right. So going to that other side and kind of viewing it as the Uber that's going into, mm-hmm. to, what, what kind of experiences has that been? Because you're so well-rounded now, right? I mean, uh, or more well-rounded. You could always be more well-rounded. But I mean, you're well-versed on kind of both sides of that business. And now with uh, Avanti kind of moving forward, how, how much has that kind of shaped and, and kind of helped you grow in, in the new uh, reality of what your business looks like?
1: Well, I think being a startup has helped me a lot personally, and it's really helped me in the roles I've been over the last, call it five to six years. So, you know, I think where it's been most um, impactful is how to raise money, what investors care about. And so obviously, startups are, are building products, they're selling products, but in order to go to grow, for the most part, they need to bring in funds, right, from investors that believe in their product, that believe in their service offering. And they think that they're going to become a big company, you know, perhaps they're just going to IPO and continue to grow, perhaps they're going to be bought. Um, but I spent a lot of time just dealing with these different types of investors and just understanding, you know, what they looked for, how they valued companies, you know, where are they putting their money right they're in charge of massive amounts of money and they probably see thousands of startups every year and they literally need to pick which companies they invest in. And so I think understanding that process, you know, having a lot of conversations with investors, um, really gave me a better sense, um, As to how how to evaluate different startup companies, right? Because, you know, if I say, oh, working at a startup is interesting, and someone gets a call with a job offer for a startup, I might say, okay, hold up, it actually depends on what they do, right? I mean, any company can technically be a startup, right? So what product do they offer? What problem are they selling? What's their total addressable market? What are their return expectations? Do they need more money to grow? Right. There are a lot of important questions that investors are going to ask before they actually put money behind the project. And obviously, if you don't have money to grow the company, you're, you're not going to be able to make it that far. Right. So I think it really helped me understand what investors look, look for before making an investment decision, which, of course, is important in any company that you're a part of that uh, is, is growing or is currently a startup and, and looking to become larger and, and actually produce products and services.
0: I mean, it seems like you have to have a certain amount of, of vision to be able to see, all right, what's, what's the future going to look like? Where are we going from here? And, and kind of piggybacking on top of that vision, like when do you know that it's time to like, okay, I kind of need to pivot and maybe I need to look somewhere else or like, okay, I need to put my head down. I kind of need to persevere. We need to bring in more capital. We're going to kind of be able to, to make this work.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think pivoting is a really interesting question, right? If you're at a startup and, you know, maybe you run, your money is running out, uh, maybe the product you built isn't selling, right? You know, it's either you maybe sell the company at a, at a loss or or you pivot and, and continue to work, right? If, like if you really think you're right, and maybe the market just doesn't yet understand your value, then you continue to build, right? And, and hopefully they come around. Um, but I think, you know, every company goes through a maturation phase, right? And so, you know, one of the companies I was working at, for example, you know, we did, you know, this online lending, right? So instead of going into a bank and, and applying for a loan, um, you can go to a website, you can fill out an application in minutes, and you can literally have money in your bank account the next day, right? So it really, you know, turns the whole traditional bank process on its head. And yeah. instead of spending two to three weeks in a bank, you know, you spend, you know, five minutes in an application, and you get your money next day, right? Well, okay, what happens? Maybe that product's successful, but you can't just always sell one product. I mean, you know, you're going to want to expand your, your offering. And so at the time, you know, we were selling and issuing three-year loans, right? And so our customers wanted longer period loans, right? Because a, a loan that is, has a longer term actually has a lower payment, all else equal, right? So maybe you say, well, I can't afford a $500 a month payment. Maybe I want a $300 a month payment, right? And so, okay, great. Maybe we should offer five-year loans, right? But then that comes with other issues and, and challenges, right? Because if, let's say, there are more defaults with that product than the other one, you might need to adjust your, your model and, and your pricing, right? Everything you do that's new presents new, uh, well, new opportunities, but also new potential problems as well. And I think responding to your customers, developing new products, improving your existing products is all super important. And, like if you're in a position where you really need to pivot, and, and thankfully I haven't been at a company where there's been an extreme pivot. Um, you know, all the, the smaller companies and startups I've been a part of has generally, they've generally stayed, you know, along the same direction and the same path. Um, but you may have made some slight uh, modifications or adjustments to your product timeline or how something works or, you know, what customers want, et cetera. So I haven't been in a super difficult position from that perspective, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but again, I think just making sure to remain competitive, um, you're always going to have more competitors come out, right? If you have a good idea, you're not going to be the only one with that idea forever. Right. So how are you going to differentiate yourself from, you know, company B, C and D? Right. Sure. Maybe you can undercut them on price, but then if you're in a, a price war and, and everyone just keeps undercutting each other, that obviously doesn't work long term either. So you need to actually have a differentiation. Right. Mm-hmm. So do you have better technology? You know, do you have more friendly customer support staff? Do you solve a different problem? Um, you know, what makes you different and why are customers going to go to you as opposed to someone else?
0: Yeah. No, it is really something as, as simple as, as customer service. I mean, it's something that is so simple and then at the end of the day can totally be absolutely make or break, you know. You don't- oh, sure.
1: For me, customer service is super important. I yeah. mean, if I have a, a neg- negative experience with, you know, customer service rep on the phone, I might hang up, cancel whatever that is and start with another company.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely. So I kind of, uh, sp- not only speaking to that, but speaking to once you have a good idea, other people are going to start coming to market, right? I mean, ha- have you started to see that now uh, with, with Avanti? is there starting to be some, some competition? Because I mean, it sounds like some pretty good ideas. So I would imagine you're going to start. Yeah. To
1: so, it, so it's funny historically, um, you know, the incumbent banks, so the large banks in the space, you know, that are just providing your traditional dollar services to companies, right? So what if a company needs an online bank accounts, they need to be able to send ACH payments, wire payments, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, none of these banks were, uh, providing uh, any services related to d- digital assets, Nor, from my understanding, did they have any short-term plans to do so. Um, Interestingly, a a couple weeks ago, there was an announcement from the OCC that essentially provided the green light for nationally chartered banks to provide services for digital assets. And so for us, that means, okay, maybe we don't have as much of a head start as we initially thought, right? And so we need to make sure that we're able to get to market in an efficient manner and that we have an awesome product. Right. So now, you know, some of these large banks have the green lights get into the space, which, you know, on one hand is is great for the industry. This is great for digital assets like Bitcoin, because it means that more, you know, partners will be coming in, uh, more customers will be coming in, more people will uh, presumably hold Bitcoin in the future. So it's great for the space. But this also may mean that we have increased competition as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it just, you know, makes us uh, stay very narrow. Uh, narrowly focused on our products, you know, getting ready for launch uh, and making sure that, you know, we're providing something that our customers want, right? Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you launch and don't have good service, that's not going to work out for anybody.
0: So moving towards the launch, what are the day-to-day vital priorities? You wake up like, okay, I got to take care of this first. And are you, are you, Because I've had people on before uh, that say, you know what, you take care of the most difficult task of the day first, get easier stuff done on the back end. Or how do you like to kind of go about attacking your day?
1: So I try to, (laughs) I say try to because I don't do this every day, Um, but I try to clear out my emails um, from the previous few days. I don't like to leave people hanging for a response for too long. Um, I just don't think it's very considerate. And so I try to, you know, unless it was a spam email that I can ignore, I'm not talking about that. Um, but, but I try to really get the, my responses into the emails I received so that people don't think I'm ignoring them or don't think that they're important, uh, et cetera. Right. So I, I try to do that at the start of the day. Um, you know, I like to, uh, on, a, funny, on a piece of paper, obviously I work on a computer these days, on a piece of paper, I'll actually put down my top tasks either for the day or for the week and I'll put little boxes next to them. And when I'm done, I, I literally cross it off. Right. I like to have as many. about that, right?
0: Even it just with it feels so it feels that so that good. Yeah. Created and everything else, like just well, I, I know my. Write it down and yeah. checking it. Like I do the same. Like it's for, for me. It's just so much easier, or it's more rewarding, you know. Rather than typing on your phone, like actually writing out, and be like, all right, that's done. Check that off. Well, I, look, I, I know
1: my Excel has crashed many times and my piece of paper has never crashed. So <laughs> yeah, sure, true. you know, maybe totally. the dog can get it, maybe someone will light it on fire, but uh, it's, it's really, um, you know, proven itself over the years. Um, so I really like to, I don't like to have tasks that go on over multiple days. And look, of course, you're going to have some projects that might take a few weeks or even a few months, but the things that I can get done same day and the things that literally just take, okay, five minutes here, five minutes there, I'll just do it because if I don't, I'll forget about it. Right. And I might need to wait for a follow-up email from, you know, a potential partner or customer before I get back to it. Um, so so I like to like try to right clear out, out the front, yeah. right
0: when it kind of shows up the first 10, 20 minutes as you get it, like, all right, I'm just going to take care of it now, get it over with and done and kind of, kind of move on from there. No. no yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So if, if I don't respond to an email in two or three days, for example, there's a good chance I might not ever respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just try to clear them out, you know, yeah. every other day or
0: so. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, yeah. definitely makes sense. That, but 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 there is also that power of procrastination too, where you know when there's a deadline. Did you ever have that for school or for in business where you have that one deadline, and you wait? It's uh like uh, uh Matt Stone, Trey Parker, seven days to air. I mean, those guys are the uh, highest paid procrastinators in the world. I think you know they have they wait until the last possible second to get that thing submitted.
1: You know, I would still consider myself a procrastinator but because (laughs) I've done it for so long. I I know how much time I need to get something done. Um, And so, you know, if, for example, I have seven days to do something, but I know it only takes me a day, I might wait six days to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, If there is uncertainty with timeline and deadlines, I I will try to get it done as early as possible. Um, But it's funny to say that I, I still would consider myself a procrastinator. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but obviously procrastinating over a long period of time is never good because you also increase the probability of forgetting something or doing something incorrectly.
0: Right. Now talking a little bit about that, that kind of uncertainty, how much has the uncertainty of everything that's going on with COVID kind of, uh, affected the business?
1: Yeah. You know, look, COVID, uh, came out of nowhere, right. Mm -hmm. Obviously disrupted a lot of businesses, um, you know, a lot of, you know, individuals and in lives and, and it's really, you know, hit hard in a lot of places. Um, you know luckily um, the company was formed in January of 2020, and our CEO um, you know had really intended for the company to have this remote first mentality right we you know we have uh, employees that like to be remote um, you know we have and and in the digital asset space it's a new industry. If you want to get the best software engineers in blockchain right in Bitcoin in digital assets, they might not be in the state you live in, they might not even be in the US, right? So we actually have international employees as well, right? And obviously, if you have international employees, you're not going to require everybody to come into an office on a daily basis. That just doesn't work, right? I mean, maybe in the future, just not today. Um, And so we actually intended for the company to be able to be fully productive while being remote. Uh, We started out with, you know, daily Zoom calls um, before COVID really hit, right? And before we really knew what was going on. Yeah. And so from a work and business perspective, um, you know, I can happily say that we didn't miss a beat. Um, quite frankly, it actually probably made us work even more. Right. I mean, we didn't spend time commuting. Um, we didn't spend time, um, you know, wasting in the hallways, right. The proverbial hallways. Yep. Um, we, we just I sat at my desk, you know, I did work, I took some breaks. Um, but I was, you know, at my desk quite a bit, you know, as well as others were and we were able to be very, very productive. And so, in hindsight, it was an awesome decision by our CEO to basically build this um, remote first mentality in our business. And, and we're going to have an office in, in Wyoming and we need to um, per Wyoming law. Uh, but we have been very productive um, with remote culture, remote work. We're all very mm-hmm. comfortable with Zoom and, and calls. And, and of course, look, a, a lot of business today happens remotely, mm-hmm. right? And even yeah, you know, the podcasts we're doing virtually and we're doing this on Zoom. And it's great to have this, um, but sure. I mean, sometimes I miss the the physical interaction and, you know, there, we have a very you know select number of of meetings and events that we still may go to in person under specific circumstances, but certainly not like what we used to pre COVID. Mm-hmm. So hoping we can get back to that one day, you know, travel becomes a little safer. Um, but for us again, you know, we're, you know, working every day uh, remotely and
0: and we've been very productive at that as well. Yeah. So uh, kind of, it's super. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to be able to have that, that leadership kind of up from the CEO. And, and as we touched on earlier, that kind of vision, right, to be able to be like, hey, uh, I, I think it's great to be able, you know, you, you look for talent. Talent is talent. And uh, not all talent, as you say, is in one state. So you go out, you find it, and then you kind of uh, work your way through the situation. And it sounds like you guys have, have not skipped a beat at all when it comes to that.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Right. And even just the logistical issues of, of moving sometimes, right. You're not waiting for an employee to move across the country. You don't need to pay for their move. Yeah. Right. So it's also more, as long as people are are functional and productive, it's, it's more cost effective. Right. Of course. Yeah, like you could absolutely. have a situation where maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe someone doesn't like remote work. Um, but then they, they probably wouldn't be working for us anyways.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the podcast is gonna kind of be in person eventually here. Once you know, we kind of the next one we do, hopefully we'll both be having a little uh, whistle pig together. And we
1: sure, <laughs> I'll, I'll come visit in person for the uh, second session.
0: Yeah, that'll be good. Well, any uh, uh, one thing I always uh, like to ask—I've uh, been trying to get my uh, my reading game up on point. Uh, been a lot of audio books. Um, I actually, just am on uh, walking uh, or talking to strangers. Malcolm Gladwell, super good, uh, super good book. Uh, or audiobook, I should say, but are there anything you kind of uh, would recommend to some of the listeners out there for uh, whether it's getting into digital assets or kind of just uh, success or kind of kind of helped you along the way?
1: Sure. Uh, can I recommend three books? Is that allowed?
0: As many as you want. I <laughs> right. got like right. only because like to write it's it's hard, hard to count. pick one. Yeah.
1: Um, on on the finance side of things, um, and this this probably relates a little more to venture capital and private equity. Um, but Ben Horowitz, uh, wrote the hard thing about hard things. Um, and it's really highlighting, uh, what the book is about is it highlights all the very difficult decisions that founders of companies or executive employees need to make, um, when building their company, right? So if you think about, you know, things like layoffs, right? If you think about pivots, right? When do you actually recognize a failure? You know, do you give up, right? How do you, um, you know, how do you fire, uh, you know, an executive? Right, And it goes through really the, the most difficult decisions that folks would need to make in those types of situations. And, and he gives his insights on how to handle those, which I thought was extremely insightful. Um, and again, back to the earlier points where you're going to run into all these issues and problems when running a company. Um, you know, other people have run into them in the past. And so you know, if you can learn from that, that's fantastic. And, and he's a great writer. Um, so that's one. Uh, the second one would be Peter Thiel's Zero to One. Uh, And basically the premise is that uh, when he looks for investments, he really looks for ones that uh, can, you know, when you go from zero to one, that's basically like an infinite jump, right? If you go from one to two, you're basically doubling that. You can't double zero to one, right? Like it's this massive shift, right? And so it's, it's these companies like, you know, Google and and Facebook that he would consider a zero to one. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's basically, again, you know, talking about, um, you know, the interest that, that he and others have in companies that have the ability to really just massively grow. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought that was fascinating. Right. right. It, it tells you that, you know, you shouldn't necessarily be shy in your ambitions. Some companies will change the world. Right. Obviously, some companies have already and there will be new ones. Well, here's what um, but,
0: PayPal, right? I mean, PayPal is definitely a zero yeah. to one, I would say. For I mean, sure. I think that that definitely qualifies the world before PayPal is a much different world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, even a company like Amazon, right? I mean, these are, you know, zero to one companies that basically have changed the way that we live quite literally. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was, that was fascinating. Uh, And then on the Bitcoin side, um, don't be turned off by the title, uh, but it's called mastering Bitcoin. Um, And there are some technical components of the, uh, of the book. You can actually, and what I did the first time I read it, I just skipped all the coding and read all the text. Um, and I maybe retained 50% of it, um, but that gave me a much deeper understanding as to how Bitcoin works, uh, and how the network works and why it works and why it has value. Um, and so really I remember, you know, putting that book down after I read it, you know, I took a deep breath and I said, wow, that was awesome. Um, so I think that was a really good technical book. Um, you know, there are others, um, and, and that author, Andreas Antonopoulos, uh, is great. He has some others that are a little more introductory, um, that, that readers can look up as well if you want just some more general uh, exposure to digital assets, you know, why they've come so far, you know, how they work um, that, that I can also um, recommend And some of the names are escaping me, but you know, again, I think, uh, I, I don't read as much as I should, you know, thankfully audiobooks have come out, come to, uh, have come out they and that's made it favorite. easier to, you know, stay on top during travel if you're on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos on the Bitcoin side is, you know, seen as <laughs> one of the biggest evangelists in the space. Uh, and then the other two books on the venture capital side, I would recommend as well. Um, those are just a few of the books that I really enjoyed over the last couple of years. Okay.
0: Good to know. I got them. Uh, I have, I have those, those written down. Where can, uh, so, so Avante what's, what's the website? Where can people kind of go and, and check out what's going on there?
1: Yeah, so you know the website is not actually um fully
0: built out and so it's
1: uh, avontibank.com today and we really just have a landing page because we haven't you know we've been so focused on on building our products and getting ready for launch that we'll update that in in the near future um but there is some basic information there. Uh, but we've also had some great uh articles written recently um just based off the milestones that we've hit so whether it was recent funding rounds, our charter uh application acceptance um, and we, we actually gave a glimpse into some of the products that we're building as well. So if you just type in Avanti Financial Group on Google, you actually see some of those recent articles, um, which will give you some good insight into what we're building.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, my man, for, uh, for taking the time. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me in the arena.
0: It was a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a blast. All right. Uh, and what, next time, we're having the Whistle Pig in person. I'll cheer
1: you with my seltzer, but we can right. do that for the, for the next one.
0: <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, Zev. I really appreciate it.
1: Great. Thanks, Bobby. Always a pleasure. All
0: right. Bye. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening in. I really appreciate it. Please make sure to take the time to like, share and subscribe our show. And also you can follow along on Instagram. Thanks.